nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I am the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, our featured interview is with career diplomat and former Japanese ambassador to Switzerland, Mitsuhei Murata. We will talk about his recent very public statements that Japan should seek an honorable retreat from the 2020 Olympics because of Fukushima. We learn about the man, how he came to his anti-nuclear position, and what led him to this very public strategy on behalf of people and the environment. Plus, our regular numbnuts of the week, nuclear reactor duck and cover report, activist shout-outs, and more nuclear information than Trevor Noah has yet presented on The Daily Show. All of that coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, December 15, 2015, and here is the week's nuclear news from our perspective. The COP21 climate talks in Paris have concluded. An agreement was signed. Will it make a difference? Was it of substance or all theater and posturing? We'll have to wait and see what it all means and if it has any effect. At least pro-nuclear is green of forces, that's in quotes, didn't gain any overt concessions in the agreement. But they were in Paris in force, with their well-polished and focused, tested PR talking points at the ready. Aiding the promise of nuclear bunks in third world countries, countries to enter the radioactive boys' clubs, which had been so cleverly disguised as the Bill Gates Breakthrough Energy Coalition. Gack. So, no visible gains, but below the surface, seeds have been sown, watered, and probably well fertilized with money, favors, and nuclear manure. I'm sure we'll learn the fallout down the line, when it's too late to do anything about it. Time for the nuclear reactor duck! <coughs> and cover report. Only 35 air miles from Broadway. The Indian Point 3 nuclear reactor has now gone out of license. Joining Unit 2, which has been operating without a license since September of 2013. I know I wouldn't be allowed to operate my car if I didn't have a license, but Indian Point will continue to operate under what is laughingly referred to as the NRC's supervision until a final decision is made on the license renewal application, and that's not expected for several years. Nuclear Regulatory Commission spokesmodel Neil Sheehan said that Unit 3 is about to enter a period of extended operation, and then went on to actually state, Overall, there were no areas of concern identified. Oh, really? 
Between just May and July of this year, Indian Point suffered from a steam leak, a transformer failure that spilled some 3,000 gallons of oil into the Hudson River, a pump motor failure, and a switchyard breaker failure, which kept the plant closed down for 19 days in just a three-month period. Signs of aging, anyone? That's why last Saturday, December 10, anti-nuclear activists stretched yellow caution tape across the main entrance of the power facility, and 10 of them were arrested. (coughs) In southern Pennsylvania, radioactive steam leaking from a valve prompted operators to shut down Peach Bottom Atomic Power Station's Unit 2 reactor early on Monday morning. A company spokesman for Exelon, the company that runs the power plant, said the company became aware of the leak last week and waited until Monday to shut it down. NRC spokesmodel Neil Sheehan is being kept very busy because he was in action here again, saying that nuclear reactors do develop leakage over time and the NRC permits a certain amount of that leakage. However, this leak which he said was at a rate of about 1.17 gallons of water per minute, exceeded the NRC's allowance. Peach Bottom, which is three miles north of the Maryland border and only 45 miles from Three Mile Island, was built in 1974 and intended to last 40 years. It's currently 41 years old. (coughs) New nuke-build plant Vogel in Georgia isn't about to be generating electricity any time soon. Five years into construction, it's only 26% complete, and the original cost estimate of $14.1 billion, which was set in 2009, has now climbed to over $21 billion. Put it out of its misery and shut it down now. <coughs> in North St. Louis, the Environmental Protection Agency is using classic misdirection to try and cover its posterior after fumbling its responsibilities at the Westlake Landfill. This is where 42,000 tons of World War II-era Manhattan Project radioactive debris is improperly, perhaps illegally, buried in an unlined trench while a five-year-old underground landfill fire that can't be put out burns inexorably towards it. Sounds like the plot of a really bad silent movie serial. So what does EPA do about this Superfund site and the encroaching underground fire? Demand a plan for preventing surface fires at the site. Nothing about the underground fire, the need for a barrier to keep the current fire from reaching the rad waste, nothing about how the EPA first proposed to cap and cover the site back in 2008, but took no action then even on that questionable a mitigation step. Meanwhile, Republic Services, the company that owns the radioactive Westlake landfill, has spent as much as $100,000 on a recent advertising blitz on local radio, social media, and telemarketing calls and emails to try to convince Congress members to support the 2008 cap and cover for the landfill that the EPA never got around to instituting. Calling themselves the Breakthrough Energy Coalition, uh, Coalition to Keep Us Safe, same idea. Republic is attempting to undermine a bipartisan bill by Missouri's congressional delegation that would transfer authority over the landfill from the EPA and to the Army Corps of Engineers. 
Republic has been greasing the political wheels with donations of $100,000 to two Republican campaign committees in Missouri, $20,000 to Missouri Democrats, just for the heck of it, $2,500 to House Speaker Todd Richardson, a Republican from Poplar Bluff, and most heinously, $1,500 a month to a local resident to get on Twitter and trash the moms of, of Just Moms STL. Ed Smith of the nonprofit Missouri Coalition for the Environment and a guest on Nuclear Hot Seat number 232 said that some residents have confused the two groups. He stated, We have unanimous bipartisan support from St. Charles and St. Louis City Councils for transfer to the Army Corps of Engineers. Republic is trying to confuse people about what's happening at the Westlake Landfill. A new UCLA study has found that in parts of California, the rate of thyroid cancer patients with an advanced stage of the disease is well above the national average. Dr. Avital Harari, a member of UCLA's Johnson Comprehensive Cancer Center and lead researcher on the study, said there was no geographic pattern to the California counties with the highest percentage of people with advanced thyroid cancer, prompting her to consider possible environmental factors. She said, there's definitely something going on here, but we're not sure what explains it. To which Nuclear Hot Seat responds with a line from the Tom English song, What part of Fukushima do you not understand? After exposure to radioactive isotopes of iodine, thyroid cancer takes between three and five years to show up. It is not quite five years since Fukushima. Do the math. In Japan... Tokyo Electric Power Company has detected 482,000 becquerels per liter of radioactive cesium in water samples taken from the tunnels on December 3rd. That's 4,000 times higher than data taken in December of last year. The samples also contained half a million becquerels of beta-ray-emitting substance, up 4,100 times in the same period. On December 15th, TEPCO reported that strontium-90 density jumped at one of its observation wells near Reactor 2. In October, the highest density detected from this well was just over 7 million becquerels per cubic meter. But the November reading was 12 million becquerels per cubic meter, 1.67 times higher than the previous reading. Strontium-90 was detected from all observation wells in the area. So what's the government of Japan doing about this? The industry ministry will consider the feasibility of burying high-level radioactive waste from nuclear power plants under the seabed, which a working panel said on December 11th would be a highly appropriate solution. Notice that they always refer to the sea as opposed to saying the Pacific Ocean. This working panel, which should be fired, said such waste could be disposed of in adjacent waters within 20 kilometers of the coast. Right, like you put it there and it's going to stay there. And in a surprising display of honesty, Naohiro Masuda, TEPCO's chief of decontamination and decommissioning, said about Fukushima, This is something that has never been experienced. A textbook doesn't exist for something like this. Nothing can be promised. You got that right. And now... Nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, none that sound awake. 
The city assembly of Miname Soma in Fukushima Prefecture is addressing a cover-up. They are investigating how Japan's Nuclear Regulatory Authority, or NRA, concluded that the Fukushima nuclear plant was not, repeat, not the cause of any radioactive contamination of rice paddies. The nerve of local government to call their national organization on the carpet. The Agricultural Ministry had raised the possibility that work to remove debris at Fukushima in 2013 scattered radioactive substances here and there that contaminated rice paddies in Minamisoma more than 20 kilometers or 12 miles away. However, government being government, the NRA reached a different conclusion, saying that while radioactive substances were stirred up by the work, they remained within the nuclear plant compound. Of course! They put up a fence. They said, don't cross that line. And according to the NRA, not a single radionuclide crossed that line. So what did cause the radioactive contamination of all that rice? The NRA did not specify the likely source of the contamination. And the government fulfilled its responsibilities by discontinuing the investigation. Fortunately, a citizens' group that requires complete compensation for the nuclear accident put together a petition, gave it to the city assembly. They are now taking action, and we'll see what comes up. Suspicion remains that the NRA concealed facts with the intention of reaching the conclusion that they did. And that's why, hurrah to the city council and the citizens of Minamisoma, and to Japan's Nuclear Regulatory Authority, you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out of week. Internationally, Kumar Sundaram, who has been leading international protests against the India-Japan nuclear deal, and who spoke about it so profoundly on Nuclear Hot Seat number 231, reports that international protests against that agreement took place over the last week in Jaitapur in India, near the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Plaza in the U.S., outside the Japanese embassy in London, at the Mullumbimbi Farmers Market in the heart of the Rainbow region of Australia, and dozens of other locations around the world. Meanwhile, as an indication of feelings about the COP21 agreement, Kumar let us know that the newest addition to his office is toilet paper with the COP21 agreement printed on it. Rolls of toilet paper such as this one were planted in toilets used by diplomats in Paris. A stylish form of direct protest. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment, but first, here's the week's radiation safeguarding tip from RAPT, Radiation Awareness Protection Talk. It's based on a story in this week's news, which comes to us from TED.com, about a chemist who has found a way to remove radioactive contaminants from the body and who is trying to put this into a pill. The work is focused on actinides, a group of radioactive elements at the bottom of the periodic table, which includes plutonium, uranium, and curium. Those are the specific radionuclides that are mentioned in this report. However, anytime you run into claims about radiation protection, you need to check out the facts. That's what Nuclear Hot Seat did by asking Cindy Folkers, radiation and health specialist at Beyond Nuclear, what she thought about this. And Cindy replied, as with any promise like this, the devil is in the details. 
Actinides are the only elements this pill will chelate out of the body. Nuclides not in the actinide list of elements include tritium, strontium, cesium, radioactive carbon, iodine, and the noble gases xenon and krypton. As Cindy states, these are some of the main nuclides that matter. She does say that actinides are no joke and you don't want to be exposed to them. But as for it being useful for power reactor accidents like Fukushima or Chernobyl, don't hold your breath. Or rather, do hold your breath. Because this pill isn't going to be able to help at all with much of the radioactive material released in such a catastrophe. Cindy goes on to state, Since this pill is just for acute exposures, I would hate to have anyone think that it is helpful for long-term exposures, such as those suffered by First Nations people as a result of exposure to uranium mining, or, as Nuclear Hot Seat would like to add, the families living near the Westlake landfill. Thanks to Cindy Folkers of Beyond Nuclear for that clarification. Now, if you want verifiable information on best practices to help safeguard from radiation, Radiation Awareness Protection Talk, or RAPT, is a six-audio compilation of vetted, footnoted, verifiable information on how to best take care of yourself and your loved ones when facing nuclear radiation exposure. To find out more, you can go to raptawareness.com. That's R-A-P like Peter, T like Tom, awareness.com. We have a free report for you that is on the site, more information on radiation and health, and you can just cut to the chase and get the full program. RaptAwareness.com. Mitsuhei Murata is a career diplomat and former Japanese ambassador to Switzerland. He has been very outspoken in his opposition to Japan's nuclear policies, especially since the Fukushima Daiichi disaster began in 2011. Recently, his proposal that Japan should seek an honorable retreat from the 2020 Olympics because of Fukushima has been gathering international media attention. Here in this interview, we learn about the man, how he came to his anti-nuclear position, and what led him to this very public strategy regarding Japan's intention to host the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. Ambassador Murata, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Yes. What is your background, and what led you into diplomatic work? So I am a former career diplomat, and then I taught at the university. Driving force from the course of the career was my yearning for peace. And when did you begin your diplomatic career? Uh, immediately after graduation from the university. It was 1961. Where did you serve as a diplomat for Japan? We all know that you're the former ambassador to Switzerland, but where else were you working? Three times in France, once in Belgium, once in uh, Egypt, once in Algeria, once in Senegal, and once in Switzerland. So you have quite an international perspective from your work. Yes, yes. 
Were you alive when the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Yes, I was alive, uh, alive but uh, I was around five or six years old then. What are your memories of that event? And what do you remember the people around you, the adults around you, talking about it? I was too small to remember what was being said at that time. And in the years after that, do you recall any conversations or attitudes about the dropping of the bombs and nuclear technology in general? Around me, people the subject in a distinct way. So I do not clearly remember. One of the great questions is why Japan, the only country that has had nuclear weapons technology deployed against it, turned around and embraced nuclear energy? How would you explain that stance that the country has taken? I think it is the influence of foreign countries, particularly the United States. And uh, later on, the whole Japan supported it and received the influence of the new system. Were there people who saw a great contradiction in Japan accepting in nuclear reactors after Hiroshima and Nagasaki? I think the people who took that stand was rather limited, perhaps Hiroshima, Nagasaki people. My understanding is that your stand against nuclear started long before the Fukushima Daiichi disaster began in 2011. Yes. When and how did you develop these beliefs and what actions did you take to support or promote them? You know, uh, when the Middle East War started, in, uh, it was 1973, I was in Cairo. And this uh, war uh, necessitated Japan to procure energy, and the missions were sent to Egypt also to beg for petroleum. And at that time, I saw... Uh, a paper in the French paper, Le Monde, that there was a village in Africa uh, using solar energy. And uh, from that time on, I was very much interested in solar energy. That was the starting point of my interest in energy problem. At that time, did you entertain any thoughts at all that nuclear reactors and nuclear energy might have some of the solution as well to the energy problems. As a matter of fact, I started to doubt about the significance of nuclear energy is Chernobyl accident. Decisively that accident. And before that, you were in favor of nuclear, you were neutral, you hadn't yet made up your mind about it? Rather neutral. Once you were aware of Chernobyl and what it meant and the fear that came from the radiation that was being let out by that nuclear accident, how did you then express 
your anti-nuclear beliefs? Was it part of your diplomacy or was this just a personal perspective that you had? No, um, when I thought about Chernobyl, I was reminded of a three-mile accident. And when I thought much about it, I thought that the humanity should have departed from the use of nuclear energy after three-mile island accident. How did your anti-nuclear beliefs impact your diplomatic missions and your diplomatic career, if they did at all? Uh, I was uh, in Switzerland between 1996-99, and I sent out messages to Japan regularly, and there was a sort of... uh, exercise, nuclear accident exercise in Switzerland. I advised Japan to follow suit, and this message was criticized. Who did you send the message to, and where did the criticism come from? You know, I sent messages to opinion leaders, politicians, uh, leading people in cultural fields, you know. So criticism came from that Uh, from one minister. And after you got that response to your message, did you follow up on it, or did you just let it drop for a period of time? No, because my attitude was uh, in private. I didn't uh, officially criticize the policy of the Japanese government. So uh, I continued, maintained my point of view but not publicly. Where were you on March 11 of 2011 and the days after that when the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster began? On that day, I was in Nagoya, and that evening I came back to Tokyo, and I had to find a hotel in Tokyo because I couldn't go back home, and I stayed on in Tokyo. With you in Tokyo... As this is going on, as the early days are unfolding, how accurate do you now feel the news was that you were receiving at that time as to what was happening? Of course, uh, we were absorbed in the reporting. And as for the meltdown, it was announced only two months or so later that the responsible constantly said, there is no immediate effect, no immediate danger. Mm-hmm. This was the repeated comment. Right, because they love the word no immediate because, <laughs> <That is. laughs> it, because it takes time. Yes, yes, but it's reassuring. <laughs> so even in Japanese, they were using the word no immediate danger. That is, this one minister in charge of the event, yes. Mm-hmm. Did you believe this at the time, or did you find yourself being skeptical? There were reporting in the Internet and so forth, being skeptical about the official explanation. As time went on, how has your thinking about Fukushima changed the way you are expressing yourself or the frequency with which you are expressing yourself publicly about nuclear issues? I thought that it is decisively 
we would conclude to put an end to the use of nuclear energy. That was my first impressions and my thinking after the accident. But, but uh, uh, as time went on, the polemics started. But I said, I have said everything before the accident, so I have no intention to engage in polemics. I said it is simply immoral to support the use of nuclear energy after the accident. And yet Japan, under the leadership of Prime Minister Abe and his government, has returned and pushed very hard for the nuclear agenda to move forward. How difficult has it been for you to watch this direction that's been taken by the current administration? I constantly sent out messages criticizing this, and I sent messages even to the prime minister and the ministers, in, uh, competent ministers and so forth, to the industrial circles, as I do continuously now. What, if any, response have you gotten from those who are in power to these messages that you have been sending out? You know, I am so frank. I didn't expect the responses, so I continued unilaterally my messages constantly. And, uh, you know, I have found out uh, recently that this uh, unilateral sending messages had uh, certain effects, like the attitude of former Prime Minister Koizumi. I kept sending him messages for 15 years, and he never replied, but now his position is entirely in conformity with mine. So in the long run, you've seen at least some impact from the messages you have sent out. Yes. Well, another example is Prime Minister Hosokawa or Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Hatoyama. They are now supporting my position, especially Hatoyama. Recently, we received interview from the Japan Times, and it which will be published shortly, and he entirely supports uh, my idea for an honorable retreat from the Tokyo Olympic Games. This is a very, very good development. This is something that I wanted to get into specifically. I don't know when the letters started, But beginning last June, we in the public became aware that you had been writing a series of letters calling for this honorable retreat from the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, which I have to say is a very diplomatic way of stating it. Yes. What kind of response has the letter generated, first of all, to the people you have been sending it to? Have you gotten any response from them at all? And uh, normally I do not receive because I am so, uh, my position is so different from the, uh, the official one. So uh, I do not receive response. But I continue uh, sending my message, even to the international prominent figures like Pope Francis and so the United Nations Secretary General or President of the United States, President of China and so forth. Has there been any kind of response that you have been receiving from the public as a result of this very forward and very well-stated request for an honorable retreat? Of course, in the Internet, very enthusiastic support in the Internet. But in the 
magazines or newspapers, no, no public official response. But lately, lately, now there is a monthly review. Gekkan Nippon has published uh, uh, an article with my photo and my argument, and this was in August. And then Japan Times in October published an article entitled, It is Time for an Honorable Retreat from the Tokyo Olympic Games. And uh, this Gekkan monthly magazine will be publishing another article in a week. What do you think are the chances that Japan will step back from the 2020 Tokyo Olympics? I think there is no other solution but for what this one. The logic explains the reason. You know, now, more than a year and a half ago, Dr. Helen Caldicott sent a letter to the president of the IOC asking, to, asking him to send independent scientists to ascertain safety of Japan, of, of Tokyo. And uh, to this request, uh, so far, no reaction from the IOC. And uh, I think it will be difficult. I have written uh, more than 10 letters to the president, and it will be difficult to continue ignoring this legitimate request to reassure the safety of Tokyo. What do you find most difficult or most frustrating about the continued silence from the International Olympic Committee and the government of Japan with their insistence that the Tokyo Olympics take place as planned? You know, journalist of The Economist who wrote about a few months ago, it's like the former imperial army. And the, the concerned people says preparations are going on smoothly. <laughs> Although <laughs> the end is visible. And, uh, you know, I think IOC's, I surmise IOC's stand. If they send that, uh, an independent scientist, their finding will be to the contrary of the false assurance under control. So they cannot send one. So they will be now hoping for the withdrawal made by Japan. And in order to realize this, they might envisage disqualification of the Tokyo Olympics because all official commitments have been broken, as you know. Mm -hmm. So it will be the choice between honorable retreat or disgraceful retreat, isn't it? So I think the, uh, the result is clear, honorable retreat, in order to accomplish Japan's duty to do the best to overcome the consequences of the Fukushima accident. This is the, where honor resides. Do you think that there is still time for that retreat to take place in an honorable and orderly way? Yes. At any rate, if they go on as uh, now, those who will be coming to Japan, athletes, spectators, they certainly will require 
the reassurance of safety. So the worst is just before the 2020 Tokyo Games, there will be a massive boycotting. Yes, boycotting can be envisaged. And you know, there are rumors and information. The situation in Fukushima is not at all under control and even worsening. And actually, there is an absolute necessity for verification by an international team. So, you think the countries, on behalf of their teams, will ultimately boycott the 2020 Olympics, even if Japan and the IOC wanted to move forward? In case more findings are made public, findings as to the dangers, increasing dangers of the situation in Fukushima, it is only natural that. Uh, people who refuse to come to Japan. If the Olympics do take place under the IOC and the government of Japan, what would be your advice to anyone, either an athlete or somebody who's a fan of the various sports at the Olympics? What would be your advice to them? You know, without giving advice, people will be reminded that. The assertion that Fukushima is under control is completely wrong. This is already the case under present circumstances. IOC itself would not be believing this because it's a common knowledge Fukushima is not at all under control. It seems that the suppression of information about Fukushima. And the lies about it, I have to call it lies because that's what it is, that have been put forth by the government and the nuclear industry are deeply embedded in the minds of the Japanese public as well as most of the rest of the world. Yes. Do you think it's still possible without some additional horrible thing happening at Fukushima? Do you think it's still possible for the people of Japan? To realize the danger that is posed by Fukushima and take action that pressures the government into a saner, for lack of a better word, saner course of action than it has been taking. And this is the reason why I'm insisting、uh, enthusiastically on an honorable retreat from the Tokyo Olympic Games. This will awaken the Japanese people, this will awaken. The world to the existing dangers of Fukushima. Of course, there are other aspects of Japan's nuclear belief and its current course of selling nuclear technology to other countries, most、yes. specifically right now, India.、Yes. What are your thoughts on Japan being a broker for nuclear technology to the rest of the world? This is simply immoral. That's all. And without finding out the causes of the accident to export this technology and also to restart itself, restarting of some nuclear reactors, it is indeed immoral. 
Where are you putting your energies now? Is it continuing letter writing? Are you speaking in public? What actions do you have planned in the future? For instance, on the 23rd of November, I made a speech together with former Prime Minister Hapeyama on these issues and uh, with the participation of young students called SEALs. And uh, this had uh, an impact, it's having an impact. And uh, on the 7th of December, with uh, Prime Minister Hateyama, we were interviewed by the Japan Times, and the article will certainly be made public, which will certainly have, uh, will uh, draw reactions. And I'm dispatching messages constantly by emails to the people in Japan and outside Japan. So I'm constantly engaged in sending out messages. If your efforts could have any lasting effect on your country regarding the nuclear issue, what would you want it to be? You know, I created a term four years ago term is the will of heavens and the earth. This is uh, my uh, translation of providence. And this means the law of history researched by philosophy. And the example is the inevitable fall of the arrogant and the inevitable fall of all dictatorships and so forth. The, the, The law of history. So the nuclear dictatorship is so powerful, it can make MIT publish a study to say that evacuation of residents from Fukushima was not scientifically totally correct, and so forth. So people in general feel desperate before the all-powerful nuclear dictatorship. But against this, this uh, idea of the wills of heavens and the earth allows us to have hope for the future. And for the heavens and will of heavens and the earth, all uh, natural phenomena support this. Earthquakes, volcano eruptions, tsunamis, uh, so forth. So uh, I think this philosophy will reassure desperate people. What actions would you like to see taken on behalf of the people who are in Fukushima and from Fukushima? There is an important finding by a Christian who is engaged in helping disaster area, people in disaster area. He made 560 interviews and he has found out that mothers are extremely worried about the health of children. And they say waiting five years is the maximum. And uh, even being divorced if necessary, they will emigrate from the actual place. And uh, he foresees a large-scale movement of uh, residents evacuation and emigration. And this, he thinks, 
on the occasion of the fifth anniversary, so next spring, mm-hmm. next March 11th, all data foreign and Japanese journalists have amassed so far will be made public. They must wait for this special occasion. Otherwise, they couldn't obtain incomes. But this fifth anniversary would be an occasion to disclose those data. And this will change completely the atmosphere. And he foresees even a social change, just like the 311 has brought about. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners at this time? Yes, we are most uh, seriously worried about the health of children. You know, the, in Ukraine, five million civils gives obligation to emigrate, and over 10 million civils, it is uh, obligatory uh, emigration is imposed. Whereas in Fukushima, the government has allowed to keep residents to come back 20 millisieverts below, 20 millisieverts. This is a most serious, unhuman, humanitarian measure if we think about health of children. So I am asserting the evacuation of children is urgently needed. If there's anything that the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat can do to assist you and support you? What would you ask of them? The most important thing is to let the world know the situation in Fukushima is serious. In order to obtain this result, the honorable retreat from the uh, Tokyo Olympics is urgently needed and most effective. And I think for the, the whole world needs this because, as you know, it is unstoppable accident. Daily, huge amount of radiation is coming from Fukushima site. And the Pacific Ocean, there is no prospect for solution. And more than 700,000 tons of contaminated water might finally be released into the sea. And 10,000 barrels reaching the limitations of capacity. And so the situation of the Pacific Ocean is very serious. That is why I'm asking for an honorable retreat to cope with the shameful criticism that Japan is now harming the global environment. We will, of course, here at Nuclear Hot Seat, do everything in our power to make certain that your message, which you have so generously shared with us today, is put out in as many places as possible. I thank you very much. I thank you, Ambassador Murata, for all you have done and all you continue to do on behalf of all the people and the planet. I will continue to do my best. As will we all. Thank you so much for being my guest today on Nuclear Hot Seat. That was Mitsuhei Morata, 
former Japanese ambassador to Switzerland. His website is a bit complex to explain, so we'll post a link on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 234. That's where you will also find a link to a December 4th counterpunch article by Robert Hunziker that cites Ambassador Murata in length. The study to which Ambassador Murata referred is by Dr. Naoya Kawakame, who carried out 562 interviews with mothers from Fukushima. He found out that for many of these mothers, the limit they were willing to wait in Japan was five years and then they were determined to evacuate their children. They were ready to be divorced if necessary to accomplish this. According to Ambassador Murata, Dr. Kawakame foresees a large-scale immigration from Japan by these mothers and their children starting in the spring of 2016. Nuclear Hot Seat relies on your donations to keep us going and growing. My gratitude always to those of you who donate when, how often, and as much as you can. As we come to the end of the year, please keep us in mind for your annual gift giving. You can make a single end-of-the-year gift or buy us the equivalent of a cup of coffee a month, maybe even add in a little nosh. You can do that with a small recurring payment. Either way, It supports the work of this show in helping you understand the many nuclear issues that are out there and not be so alone with your awareness. So help us keep doing this work. We make it easy for you to donate. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red Donate button. You can send us a gift either through PayPal or directly from your credit or debit card. And if you prefer not to donate online, email info at nuclearhotseat.com for a snail mail address where you can send your donation the old-fashioned way. Whatever you can do to help us in the coming year, my thanks and my gratitude. Activist shout-outs! The Right Livelihood Award is also known as the Alternative Nobel Prize. For the first time in the history of the award, it has been given to the people of an entire nation, the Republic of the Marshall Islands. This island nation of 70,000 people in the Pacific, along with its foreign minister, Tony DeBroom, received the award, quote, in recognition of their vision and courage to take legal action against the nuclear powers for failing to honor their disarmament obligations under the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty and customary international law. We have an interview planned for early next year dealing with this very issue. And if you are interested in learning exactly why this is such an extraordinary move by those people, I highly recommend the movie Nuclear Savage by Adam Jones Horowitz. You can find it under that title online. And a second shout out to the journalism students at Ole Miss for researching and creating a film entitled Atomic Mississippi. And it's a documentary. Brad Schultz and Kathleen Wickham Journalism instructors at the University of Mississippi served as faculty advisors for the documentary and guided their students throughout the project. Schultz discovered the nuclear site's existence from an article online 
and proposed it to his students the following semester. They accepted the challenge. The resulting film premiered recently at a special screening at the University of Mississippi, and the plan is to have the program run statewide on Mississippi public broadcasting this spring or summer. Who knew that Mississippi was the only state east of the Mississippi River where two nuclear devices would be detonated? Can't wait to see that film. Here's today's final thought, and it is excerpted from an essay by Clarissa Pincola Estes, who is author of Women Who Run With the Wolves. She writes, My friends, do not lose heart. We were made for these times. I have heard from so many recently who are deeply and properly bewildered. They are concerned about the state of affairs in our world now. Ours is a time of almost daily astonishment, and often righteous rage over the latest degradations of what matters most to civilized, visionary people. You are right in your assessments. The luster and hubris some have aspired to, while endorsing acts so heinous against children, elders, everyday people, the poor, the unguarded, the helpless, is breathtaking. Yet I urge you, ask you, gentle you to please not spend your spirit dry by bewailing these difficult times. Especially do not lose hope, most particularly because the fact is that we were made for these times. Yes, for years we have been learning, practicing, been in training for, and just waiting to meet on this exact plane of engagement. In any dark time, there is a tendency to veer towards fainting over how much is wrong or unmended in the world. Do not focus on that. There is a tendency, too, to fall into being weakened by dwelling on what is outside your reach, by what cannot yet be. Do not focus there. That is spending the wind without raising the sails. Though we meet resistance, we more so will meet great souls who will hail us, love us, and guide us, and we will know them when they appear. Ours is not the task of fixing the entire world all at once, but of stretching out to mend the part of the world that is within our reach. Any small, calm thing that one soul can do to help another soul to assist some portion of this poor, suffering world, will help immensely. It is not given to us to know which acts or by whom will cause the critical mass to dip towards an enduring good. What is needed for dramatic change is an accumulation of acts, adding, adding to, adding more, continuing. We know that it does not take everyone on earth to bring justice and peace, but only a small, determined group who will not give up during the first, second, or hundredth gale. There will always be times when you feel discouraged. I, too, have felt despair many times in my life, but I do not keep a chair for it. I will not entertain it. It is not allowed to eat from my plate. The reason is this. In my utmost bones... 
I know something. It is that there can be no despair when you remember why you came to earth, who you serve, and who sent you here. The good words we say and the good deeds we do are not ours. They are the words and deeds of the one who brought us here. In that spirit, I hope you will write this on your wall. When a great ship is in harbor and moored, it is safe. There can be no doubt. But that is not what great ships are built for. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, December 15, 2015. Material from this week's program has been researched and compiled from enenews.com, NHK, fukushima-diary.com, and our friend Iori Mochizuki, Asahi Shimbun, Mainichi, NewYorkTimes.com, Associated Press, AsiaProgressive.com, CaravanDaily.com, JakartaGlobe.com, MiningAwareness.wordpress.com, LowHUD.com, ABQJournal.com, KnoxBlogs.com, The Environmental Protection Agency, STLToday.com, Reuters, McClatchyDC.com, CommonDreams.org, PressTV.ir, The Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and the marvelously supportive nuclear hot seat community on Facebook, which you are all invited to friend and like. Thanks and holiday greetings to all those who support this show and help keep it going, including but not limited to Joni Ray, Ms. Milky the Clown, Scott Portsline, Cindy Folkers, Kimberly Roberson, Mark Kronowitz, the inimitable Sean Arclight, the donors who help keep this show going, those who share their wisdom on the Facebook pages, and all who answer my sometimes last-minute request for clarification or further information as I record the show. Special thanks this week to Jonathan Bissone for explaining how to call internationally from Skype to a landline, and Brian Victoria for his assistance in putting me in contact with Ambassador Murata. My apologies to anyone I may have forgotten in this moment. Let me know, gently please, and I promise I will acknowledge you the next time. Theme music and numbnuts of the week jingle written by me, sung by Marilee Weber, accompaniment by John Barnard, and recorded at Winslow Court Studio in Hollywood. Nuclear Hot Seat is syndicated by UCY.TV, StuWebRadioNetwork.com, which is formerly Veterans Truth Network, and we are now syndicated in New Zealand by NewZSentinel.com. The show is also available on iTunes under podcasts where you can subscribe. The archive is available on the website, NuclearHotSeat.com, on our YouTube channel under Nuclear Hot Seat Videos, and on iTunes. Nuclear Hot Seat is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at NuclearHotSeat.com. We are copyright 2015, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we have all had our nuclear wake-up call. So don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. 
Nuclear Hot Seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear Hot Seat, it's the bomb.